Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 32 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello there, Husker fans. Hey. All right. Yes, this is the uh, post-championship weekend uh, podcast we're going to be doing for you guys. Running down what happened in the championship games as well as the new playoff rankings and who's going to what bowls and how we think these all this stuff's going to play out. We're here in the uh, end game of uh, college football. It's, it's sad, but it's exciting at the same time. It, it is. It's kind of cool to see how it plays out now. You know, with this new setup. That's right. All right. So for those of you who haven't been listening to us for a while, we're a uh, new podcast. We're called College Football Throwdown, and we do a uh, podcast by college football fans for college football fans. This father-son duo coming at you. And uh, we're going to start off by uh, going over well, the games of the previous weekend, the uh, championship weekend, and the predictions we had for those games. But before we do that, I have our beverage to crack, as is tradition. Yes. Ah, that one was a little weak. Didn't pick up as well. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> That's okay. All right, disappointing. But um, so looking at our predictions from last week, we uh, predicted uh, each of the bowl games and um, bowl games. What am I saying? The championship games. It was interesting. Uh, going to the Florida Alabama game, you had it at forty-five seventeen, and I had it forty-two fourteen. Uh, but end up being a much lower scoring game than either of us expected. I think. That's true. That's true. It did. I thought. I thought it was going to be a little bit more offensive, uh, especially on the, uh, obviously with uh, with uh, Bama. Yeah, with their uh, Derrick Henry, their, their yeah. crazy guy. Now um, they they did dominate though, and you know it it appeared. I mean, it was like twenty nine to seven or something like that, and then. And then Florida, you know, made a, a, a you know rally comeback to make it make the score seem interesting there at the end. True. True. Although I I actually I think it was tuned into the radio broadcast and was like uh, six to nine or something like that. Like it, I I am impressed that Florida's defense was able to hold them off basically for an entire half. Their oh, yeah. off, their offense was just so ridiculously incompetent that the, the yeah. defense got tired after a while. Exactly. And, and there were some other things, too. I mean, it's just amazing to me, and, and, and speaking of that specific game, you know, there was a super critical uh, uh, roughing the passer penalty where right at the, at the beginning of the third quarter that Alabama got that ultimately allowed them to overcome a, you know, a, a, a conversion failure and get into, you know, Florida territory, which led to points. So mm-hmm. yeah. it was kind of sad. Yep. Um, and then, uh, not not a uh, directly related to the playoff, but still a game a lot of people were looking forward to is the USC Stanford game. And I guess I should say um, I was uh, I went to a found a Michigan State bar actually because I knew I, the big game I cared about was the Michigan State Iowa game. So I found a Michigan State bar, went there, and I caught the end of the Alabama Florida game. And then the other games were all on around the same time, five o'clock Pacific time. So that was great place to be to be able to watch all the games yes that's cool mm-hmm. glad you were able to do that and we'll have to talk when we get to that point uh, about uh, the reaction at the end oh yeah we'll get there but um i predicted a 38 21 victory for uh stanford over usc you predicted 31 17 
and then the final score ended up being 41-21. So uh, Stanford, it was interesting. I mean, USC was clo- was kind of hanging in there for a while, but in the second half, USC pulled away, and their um, guy, I'm going to blank on you his name. You mean Stanford? Uh, McCaffrey or uh, yes, McCaffrey. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, he should be the Heisman Trophy winner, I believe. But I I, I think that Derrick Henry is going to get it because of the hype machine that is ESPN. Yeah. Well, it seems like everybody's talking about how he hasn't been in the news as much, you know, this season. But I mean, in right. terms of making a Heisman statement, I don't see how you could get better than 461 yards total offense, including oh. you know 100. Uh, receiving the ball as well as a bunch of running the ball and even throwing a touchdown pass. I mean, it's right. crazy. It is. Well, and, and it's not just uh, this game. I mean, his stats for the season are just ridiculous, but, but so are Henry's. But Henry's are that way because because they've been running him, you know, 35 and 40 carries a game and just using him as the workhorse for the, you know, last four or five games of the year here. And, and so he's built an enormous quantity of, big numbers you know 200 yard plus games in a row because of that and uh i don't know i think they've just been earning him a heisman trophy that's what they've been doing yeah well i mean if you if it if they're not able to stop him which in the auburn game that was the situation auburn just couldn't find an answer for him so don't don't fix what isn't broken in that situation but uh but i did i heard another thing actually on one of the radio shows that apparently um uh, McCaffrey has like 3,000 total yards, or I think it must yeah. be, yeah, something like that. 3,000 total yards of offense, and the right. next like highest person is somewhere around the range of 2,000. Right, so exactly. So with that a dramatic of a, you know, um, difference, difference you, in any other other year, you'd think he'd be the obvious favorite. Uh, I agree, and, and I think he should be in this case too, but I, I, I'll be shocked if he gets it. Uh, I'm pleased, but shocked. Yeah, um, and then another one of the the Heisman hopefuls uh, is James Winston, right? Isn't that how you pronounce his name? Um, Heisman hopeful. Yeah. Where does he play? Uh, I, the, the Clemson quarterback. Uh, oh, um, um, no, it's not. That's not his name. I don't know his name, but that's not it. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. Okay. Clemson quarterback. They played against North Carolina. Uh, I predicted a thirty-one twenty-four victory for Clemson. You predicted 35-17. That game ended up being pretty close. And excuse me, sorry, that was the uh, the beverage working its way through my system there. I love it. Uh, it ended up being a high-scoring game, 45-37. North Carolina was in it until the end there. Yes, they were. Well, you know, there was actually. I mean, they weren't in that. Uh, you know, uh, Clemson had a very comfortable lead, and then. Um, and then they kind of let them back in it late, and, and then oh my gosh, a horrible call yeah. uh, in that game uh, on a on a uh, um, onside kick in which they were called for offsides when North Carolina, Carolina recovered the onside kick, and, and they were absolutely positively not offsides. I mean, yeah. it's just so obvious; it's not even funny, and it's just a horrible, horrible mistake on the part of the referees yeah. that you know certainly influenced you know, the end of the game. Now they would have still had to, you know, line up and march it down the field and score and stuff to have, you know, changed the outcome. But, but the bottom line is they should have been given that chance. You know, that's sad to see that happen. Oh yeah. I, I, I was watching that game as well. And I was pretty sad when I saw that. Cause I was, I wanted 
chaos. You know, I wanted either Clemson or Alabama right. to lose because that was the only way that like a guy like Stanford could get in. Um, right. And uh, so I, I, I was also pretty disappointed when I saw that offsides call. Cause, and then even even on the second offside kick, the Clemson guy bobbled it again, and they almost got it back, but Clemson did eventually land on it. Right. Yeah. But that was a fun game, and North Carolina uh, showed off their offensive prowess. You know, they, they were able to, you know. Very good team. Yep. Th- throw it up there with Clemson. Uh, it's Deshaun Watson. That's the name of Thank you. Clemson's yes, quarterback. Deshaun Watson. Yep. yep. Wilson and Watson messed up. <laughs> and uh, Justin versus Deshaun, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that one was a little bit more egregious. Uh, and then uh, and then there's the, the big game, the one that we cared the most about, obviously being Big Ten fans. Uh, mm-hmm. Iowa MSU. Uh, I predicted a 35-21 MSU victory. So you predicted a 45-21 MSU victory. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I would like to address that a little bit. You know, I, <laughs> I I will concede that I expected a very different football game. I expected an Ohio, I mean, a, a Michigan State team that was much more along the lines of the team I saw play against Penn State. Uh, that was quite prolific offensively and was making use of their great receivers and their outstanding NFL caliber quarterback and and obviously a, a running game that seems to be getting more and more consistent all the time. What I saw instead was an offensive game plan that to me looked to be a, a game plan that was kind of trying to protect their quarterback. Um, they uh, They did not throw it across the middle. Almost every time they did, they seem to have success, but but throwing it across the middle requires two things. Usually, it was a little bit deeper deeper routes, and um, and you have to throw it with velocity. Otherwise, you run the risk, especially against the zone defense, which which uh, uh, Iowa plays a lot of uh, zone coverage in the secondary, which is somewhat uncommon, frankly, in the Big Ten. I mean, everybody plays a little bit of zone, but most Big Ten teams, I would describe them as being mostly. Uh, you know, uh, a variety of man uh, coverages, okay? Mm-hmm. And so to have a team that's as committed to the zone scheme as Iowa was maybe a little bit unique, and I think the coaches maybe were a little fearful that with uh, uh, Connor Cook's, uh, you know, ailing arm that he might not have the ability to have enough accuracy and velocity on that arm to to do what they wanted to do. So instead they, they were running a bunch of these little uh, slip screens and then they were throwing out patterns and stuff where basically if he was off, it was going to go out of bounds, you know, kind of uneventfully, uh, but unsuccessful. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and they were just trying to minimize the chance of him throwing picks. And, but in, in, in doing so, they played in Iowa's hands to be able to just load the box and stop the running game. And then and then, you know, secure some third and longs and stop Michigan State, which they were able to do. That's true. Yeah, it was a very, very defensive game. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Connor Cook, you know, missing some of those passes and making some um, dumb decisions in the pocket. You know, when not pressure his was best on. Day. Yeah, not his best day, certainly. Yeah. I and I think part of that was he he doesn't even have confidence in his arm the way he he wants to. You know, I think there was definitely something still wrong there. Yeah. And they were trying to protect it and cover it up. Yeah, and there was a MSU fan sitting next to me at the bar who uh, who kept on talking about how their field goal kicker was the worst in the Big Ten, and he couldn't comprehend why the coach was uh, letting them kick it when on those so like fifty yard 
right. field goals rather than you know trying to punt it or going for it on fourth down. Right. Um, and I was a little more, uh, uh, what do you want to say, uh, defensive of the field goal kicker because he made a couple other important field goals throughout that game, and those ones were like 50, 52, 53, and he nearly made it both times. Right, absolutely. Yep, and he, but he has been up and down. I get where that guy was coming from a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's, what, like 9 for, of 16 or something like that? It's not a great completion record. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting game to watch. Uh, you know, it was it was a struggle. Certainly, there were a lot of unhappy MSU fans there at the end of the first half. But uh, MSU kind of their defense stepped it up in the second half and really stopped Iowa from getting anything going offensively. And then there's the uh, epic nine minute drive at the end of the game. Yes. Oh my gosh. Now that drive uh, was just an awesome thing to, to watch and behold, uh, uh, 22 plays. I, I, I read a, some kind of statistic that, um, that was the longest or the, at least the, uh, the largest number of plays on a single drive in like two years in college football. Mm. Yeah. Well, and honestly it, it was, uh, reminding me a lot of, uh, well, like once again, this guy next to me was on several situations talking about like throwing it, go go for the deep ball, you know, throw it over him. Um, but I was always advocating like, no, you just got to get first downs, get first downs. That's what D'Antonio did on that yes. series, and it was you were right, it was beautiful to behold because it was just classic. You know, we're gonna run it, we're gonna run it, we're gonna run it, and then we have them on their edge. We're gonna toss it over the top of them, you know, to surprise them a little bit. It was great. That was. It was. Um, so, yep, yep, there's no doubt that that was, uh, the, the, you know, the difference in the game. And then, that, and then Scott, the running back, who, who gave that extra effort, and, and frankly, even uh, Cook on the, when they ran that option play mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a first down and, and down in the red zone was another play uh, in the game that I thought was just beautiful. I oh, just yeah. thought it was so cool. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, gritted out like that yeah well when that when that guy there's their guy scott he was hit and then he spinned down and slammed the ball down in the goal line that that bar erupted and it was awesome was it yeah tell me a little bit about that so so when they did that i mean how many uh, was was it pretty much everybody was michigan state or or by then had it thinned out or what oh, was no. the situation i mean I, I don't see that many people leaving i don't think um and there weren't any like iowa I mean, maybe there was there was a couple Iowa fans there, I think, actually. But mostly it was Michigan State fans. And so that whole whole place was rocking there throughout that last drive. So that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, uh, another big part, part of the game, I think, was then Iowa got the ball back with like 25 seconds to go and got sacked on the first play. And, uh, and then so like 10 seconds or 20 seconds almost went off the clock there. So they were basically left with like one, having time for one play, you know, at the end. Oh man, that's true. Yeah, you, you almost wondered if it might have been wiser for them to go ahead and let them score. Uh, I mean, there was some discussion about that, but I've never been a favor in favor of that strategy. Um, but I could see where maybe you you do it. But with with so little scoring going on, and you're not an explosive offense, I think you've got to trust your defense in that situation, which Iowa tried to do. And 
frankly, they were one play away. Yeah, and give uh, you know, give. I, I want to give some credit to Iowa because I think both you and I were under the opinion that Michigan State was the far superior team. That I was a little bit overrated, seeing as how in their game against Nebraska, you know, I mean, we shut them down essentially on offense, you know, with the exception of a couple plays. Um, but they came to play uh, that day clearly, and their defense did a really good job of shutting down MSU for you know, three quarters of the game there, you know, I feel like they just kind of got tired near the end because their offense, once again, wasn't producing anything kind of like the Alabama game. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And this is something I want to ask you, you may not know it, but has uh, Nick Saban ever publicly talked about Tom Osborne being one of his, like, uh, coaching? uh, Oh, yes. Okay, because watching that, uh, watching and listening to that Alabama-Florida game, it definitely sounded like classic Nebraska football to me because they were just pounding it with Henry in the running game throughout that first half and not having a lot of success, but it tired their defense out, you know, over time. And so in the in the fourth quarter, they were able to pull away, you know. Yes, a- absolutely. And, and uh, actually, if you read, uh, there's been a few uh, autobiographies, or I mean biographies written about Nick Saban already, uh, and, and he has regularly, when interviewed or you know, have, having those kinds of conversations, talked uh, about the significance of uh, you know, um, his, his review of Nebraska's philosophies and how they went about things, and, and specifically the experience of playing the 1995 team when he was at Michigan State, when when uh, kid don't don't forget that Nick Saban was the Michigan State coach. So, so this this matchup we're going to be talking about here shortly includes that intrigue. D'Antonio mm-hmm. coached for him, and uh, and uh, so he's one of his disciples, if you will. And um, um, you know, Nick Saban had his time at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does make for an interesting story. But there were other games, as a matter of fact, going on that week besides the. Uh the conference championship games i didn't actually watch any of them but uh, one was definitely surprising texas beating baylor 23 17 how about that say say that one again texas beating baylor 23 17 yeah 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 absolutely uh totally uh, surprised um and um you know i i I get it that uh, baylor was basically playing offense with a you know, a, a converted wide receiver or something because all their quarterbacks were injured, but uh, uh, at least for part of that game. But the fact that they weren't able to produce hardly any offense against Texas's defense, you know, this team that was so prolific that people earlier in the year were talking about as being the most prolific offense, you know, they were on pace to be one of the most prolific offenses in history. Uh, and then to have them kind of, you know, sputter at the end, really really was amazing and then texas how do you explain that how do you explain a team that beats oklahoma and and beats baylor uh granted it's a wounded baylor but baylor nonetheless and then gets beat you know 24 or 28 to nothing or whatever it was at iowa state gets crushed by notre dame you know and just looks horrible at times yeah, well, a little bit like Nebraska. They they came to play in some of the big games, but not the well, other ones. Well, yeah, but if it was about turnovers, then it's then it's more the Nebraska story. But that wasn't necessarily the case in in all of those games. Yeah. It was more of just not playing well. Right, right. No, you're right. Um, now that is interesting. Um, I, I think it just goes to show with those sorts of spread offenses that are so focused on 
you know, the precision passing and all that, how dependent they are on their having a really good quarterback. You know, you lose that and the whole thing crumbles apart a bit. Exactly. That's true. And one of the reasons why, you know, the weaknesses, if you will, of that system. It's true. Um, and then the last one was uh, Houston playing Temple. Um, pretty nice matchup. And Houston won that 24-13. And now they've uh, gotten gotten their way into a pretty big bowl game. So we'll talk about that here in a bit. Yes, they sure did. That's right. Um, so then we get to the uh, new playoff rankings that were released on Sunday, which is when we're recording this podcast. And there was a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of shock, because obviously all four teams won that we, well, MS, I mean, MSU is the favorite by Vegas, I guess. So I guess they were kind of the favorite to win the Iowa game. So everybody won who we thought were going to win. and uh, But the rankings didn't stay the same. MSU jumped Oklahoma to the number three spot which uh, did definitely surprise me, but it is something you called on the last podcast, too. Uh, okay, I wasn't sure if I had mentioned that on that on the podcast or not, but it was something I, I believed as I was looking into, you know, what I thought would happen, that if, in fact, Michigan State won the football game, that I felt that, the, that their body of work, when looked at, you know, independently of Oklahoma's, that that would be moved up. In fact, I think an argument could have been made to move them even even into second place uh, ahead of Alabama because if you if you just look at what they've actually accomplished on the field, uh, you know Michigan State's resume of win loss uh, is more impressive. However, there's also other elements that obviously go into those discussions with that committee, which which is what makes this committee so good in my in my view, is that. Uh, you know, they're able to look at that body of work and resume, which is obviously probably the most important factor, but they're also looking at things like the eye test. And, you know, Alabama looked more impressive in its victories than Michigan State did over the course of the season. Anybody who would have seen both teams play or uh, an odds maker in Vegas, I guarantee you would make Alabama, you know, a favorite. In fact, now that the, the games have been set, I think Alabama is like a nine or ten point favorite in this game. Yeah, I so, heard it was above a touchdown. Yeah, so I mean, uh, clearly, you know, all of those eyeball test type things would suggest that Alabama is the better team. So I, I think they ended up ranking them exactly the way they should have. Um, I'm a little disappointed for Michigan State, and you know, looking at it from just a uh, selfish uh, viewpoint myself, I feel like Michigan State would have matched up better. Uh, had they played Clemson, and so I would not have minded at all if they had stayed four, uh, and that would have allowed them to play in the Orange Bowl against Clemson, um, and then let Oklahoma and Alabama, which would have been a bloodbath, I think, uh, given their recent history over the last few years, um, and uh, it would have been awesome. It would have been awesome to see that too, but I, I don't dislike these matchups, and I think they're the the right ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting to think about. Um, analyzing the Big 12's like lack of a conference championship here again, uh, because you know last year we saw how it got them in trouble and they didn't make it in. Then this year, it, it you can sort of see the advantage of it because Oklahoma was able to make their way through their conference, you know, with only one loss and basically secure themselves a bit in the playoff. While the other teams, you know, Clemson, Alabama, MSU, they still have one game left to play. They weren't sure they were going to make it, so Oklahoma was sitting pretty there. But at the same time, you know, they have one less victory over a top-tier team, and they didn't exactly. play in a championship game, so now they get bumped yep. down a little bit. So There's no, there's no doubt that the resume part of that 
uh, comes into play, and that's where that uh, conference championship game um, is important. And then no matter how hard you try, you know, like, for example, they obviously had a uh, some scheduled games in the in the uh, in the Big 12 on the same day as the conference championships. Right. Right. But the, the truth is that uh, people were focused on the conference championship games, not some regular season game that yeah. might be being played by the Big 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not the same. True. And so the, the whole big stage aspect of that, I think, is valuable. Now, now it sounds like from conversation, and this will be for another podcast, Alex, but, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one in which I will express great dissatisfaction uh, with the NCAA again, and, and it's going to be that it sounds like there is a, uh, what would I say, a, a rule change that's been, uh, that's under consideration and, and that apparently is likely to pass that's going to allow the Big 12 to have a conference championship game with only 10 teams. And I, I would tell you that if I was the Big 10, especially a traditional Big 10 mem- member, I mean, the, the, you know, Nebraskans or the Nebraska fans can't be unhappy with that and, and certainly any of the other recent entries into the league. But if I was Penn State or any of the other uh, original 10 members, I would be really mad because they lived for, you know, quite a number of years, I don't know, more than a decade uh, since um, I think it was 92 or 93 when Penn State joined the league. They were not able to have even though they had 11 teams, they were not allowed to have a conference championship game because they didn't have 12. You had to have 12 so that you could have six and six on your divisions before you would be allowed to have a conference championship game, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to waive that rule after decades of having it. You know, the, the, the financials um, just got a lot better for the Big 12 if they allowed that. Yeah, Why? no, for... I would agree with that. Like for the sake of, uh, I don't. What, what do you call it in like law when there's a previous decision? Precedent. Precedent. Yes. Yeah. Precedent, Precedent would suggest that you can't get away with that because, like you say, you know they're sharing the pot between yeah. only ten schools rather than twelve. And if right. you had in a conference championship game, that's another biggest sum of money that gets split up oh, between those 10 30, schools you know 30 to 40 million dollars right which and kind of now you're dividing by 10 instead of dividing by 12 or 14 or whatever exactly. and so financially um you know i think some of these schools frankly i'm not sure the big 10 invites nebraska in if it didn't need us to get to that 12th team and get the conference championship out of it i mean without that we don't get in you yeah. know um and similarly the the big 12 was allowed is being allowed to, you know, reap the benefit of that financial windfall without having to divide among 12. Yeah. And if I'm the Big Ten, I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so talking about some of the other games, um, we have the other uh, New Year's games that are the other um, the, the other four bowls of significance that are going to be playing around that same time. Uh, and uh, this is a definitely an interesting one. Ohio State, Notre Dame, and the Fiesta Bowl. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Those matchups are very nice. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, uh, there was obviously going to be a lot of debate in that, in that uh, whatever they call it, uh, um, New Year's Six Bowls, um, um, you know, deciding who was going to go. And one of couple of the big decisions was where was Iowa going to land and where was Ohio State going to land? 
Had Iowa gotten blown out like I predicted predicted was going to happen, I think they might very well have chosen Ohio State. But but with the way that Ohio, Ohio, Iowa, the way that Iowa uh, comported themselves in that game, and they really gained a great deal of respect from you know everyone who watched the game, I believe, uh, including you know the decision makers, and they were compelled to to make that the Iowa Stanford matchup, and then that's what allowed then the Notre Dame um, Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame Ohio State Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and I guess we should talk a little bit about those matchups within the top four: Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama, MSU. Uh, I heard some interesting discussion happening about how because of those matchups, no matter who wins those games, the national championship game is going to be a matchup with, between two kind of differing philosophies of coaching. One that's more about the spread and you know these highly passing focused offense offenses versus the Alabama and MSU camp, which is more running the football, powering it in, you know, strong defensive line, like physical football kind of philosophy. Right. And so it will be that the national championship game is definitely going to be a clash of those things. And then ironically, the, the semifinals are clashes of equaling or similar philosophies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, interesting to hear about Oklahoma kind of, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, it was Baylor and TCU and then Oklahoma State, you know, were kind of like considered the top three and Oklahoma was kind of an outlier because they'd lost to Texas and uh, people kind of thought they were done after something that bad kind of happening, but they really pulled themselves together at the end of the season. Yep. In fact, both Oklahoma and uh, um Alabama would be the two teams in that group of four that that kind of because of when and how they lost their games, uh, you know, were viewed at one point in the season as being unlikely to be able to work their way back into it, uh, and then both of them were able to do so. So, uh, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then this is a uh, another you know the other interesting game you know you're talking about Iowa earlier, Iowa versus Stanford in the Rose Bowl classic uh, matchup there. Um, or classic in terms of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten matchup, I should say. Um, has Iowa even ever been to a Rose Bowl? I don't even. Oh know. gosh, yes. Okay. Uh, yes, a number of times. But but uh, um, but I, here's one thing I, I I actually commented on a, a message board about this uh, a little bit. I believe that um, you know the matchups uh, do not favor the Big Ten, and part of that is if you have a situation where within your conference. You know, three your three top teams are all allocated to those types of bowl games. You know, the the, the New Year's five, uh, six and uh, and the uh, and the and then obviously one in the conference or the the college football playoff. Now you got three teams kind of allocated to those those high end bowl games. That means that the rest of your traditional alignments, right, are going to be taking tiered teams that are uh, like one notch below what would be more typical. Right, because usually the Big Ten would have the Rose Bowl, and maybe an assumption that one, you'd have one uh, team in the in the uh, college football playoff, but not two teams in that uh, um, New Year's Six. Right. In this case, we have two of them. So now all of a sudden, you know, uh, those matchups for the remainder of the teams are all kind of skewed and not in the Big Ten's favor. So. I'm going to suggest that, you know, because they, the 
national discussion has has evolved into this thanks to ESPN again that they're going to make a big big deal out of how did the Big Ten match up against the SEC or how did the Big Ten match up against all the other conferences in the bowl games? I can I can I'm going to predict to you right now we're not going to do very well. Okay, as in terms of you know aggregate numbers, and it's because of those matchups. Again, <clears throat> I'm <clears throat> I'm impressed that Iowa was able to hang with Michigan State, but I believe that was more about Michigan State not playing well than it was Iowa playing well, okay, or being great. And I think that Stanford is probably playing some of the best football in the country right now, and so I would expect that Stanford team to dominate Iowa yeah. in the Rose Bowl. Um, I do think Ohio State will play Notre Dame, uh, but I, and if you were to ask me, do I think Michigan State is the favorite to win the national championship? I would say no, and I think most most you know pundits would agree that Michigan State, among those four teams, is probably either third or fourth in most people's view of of the you know the likelihood, right, that they're going to win that. And then you look at all these other matchups that we're going through in the Big Ten. I'm sorry, I'm I'm I'm, yaw- I'm you're yawning on me. I'll shut <laughs> uh, up. No, no, no. I was just tired. That's all. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, there, it certainly could turn out uh, poorly for the Big Ten in terms of those matchups. But I think it speaks well to us as a conference that we have that many top tier teams playing well, those sorts of bowl games. And that's my games. point. But but you won't hear that in the dialogue. That won't be part of the conversation when the ESPN starts starts trying to uh, to tear down. You know, they've they've grudgingly had to acknowledge that the Big Ten has had a good year, year and a half here since since the Ohio State run in last year's championship, right? Uh, uh, and they've begrudgingly given some Big Ten teams some accolades. But, uh, you know, now you've got, you've got a, a Northwestern team that has to go down and play a Tennessee team, right, in the southern climate down there in, in Florida. And, and, you know, the Northwestern team is the ranked team. Tennessee isn't. But I will tell you right now, Tennessee – has recruited lights out the last few years and is loaded and queued up to have a huge jump next year and in success. And they have a ton of young talent that's getting better every day. And, and it, will, uh, it won't surprise me at all if Tennessee is able to beat Northwestern maybe even badly. Okay, so you start looking at some of these matchups and you can, it's easy to see where we could have a fairly bad um, you know, overall bowl record. And everybody's going to be like, oh, the Big Ten sucks again. Mm-hmm. And, and my argument is, no, that's not true. It's more about the body of work. But everybody will focus on these inter-conference games rather than the, the, the overall look. You know what I mean? Right. And so I'm cautioning everyone out there that might be listening to this broad podcast that you have to be prepared for that and, 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 and not be one of those people that you know, gets sucked into that. It's got, you've got to look at individual matchups and understand those but you also have to look at the overall body of work of the teams and why they're in the spots they're in mm-hmm. why is a five and seven nebraska team playing an eight and four ucla team right you know, yeah that's well, kind of thing. talking about that real quick we were just talking last week about the possibility of us uh, being one of those five and seven teams making it in and going to this bowl in detroit um as it turns out we're going to san francisco instead playing ucla which in terms of you know, prominence of bowl and everything. It's actually pretty crazy in my mind that a five and seven team is playing an eight and four team. You know, uh, I think that speaks to a how well we've played. You know, relative to our record, and b um, how much bowls respect the fact that Nebraska travels well and that they'll get good tickets. Right. 
Right. Well, and, and exactly. And so anyway, I just I just kind of want to make sure that uh, I, you know, in terms of our dialogue about this upcoming season that, uh, you know, not that I'm trying to make an excuse for the Big Ten, but I can already see the writing on the wall based on the commentary I observed today. You know, yep. it's just one of those deals. That's true. Um, so and then we talked a little bit earlier. Houston is in the Peach Bowl with uh uh, Florida State, and I heard an interesting talk on the radio broadcast about how with Florida State, you know, you consider that two years ago they were the national champion. Last year they were in the top four. You know, now this year, 10-2, and two, you know, they're going to a, a high-tier bowl game. But at the same time, they some of the older players may not be as, you know, excited about it versus Houston, who is giddy, you know, that they get to play in this sort of uh, bowl game and have the chance to kind of prove themselves against a top-tier opponent. So I think that might be a factor. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And that's always the case when it comes to these bowl games. You can't just look at, you know, their body of work and how good they were during the season, but what is their motivation level? And and if you come into a, a bowl game with a good attitude, you have a far better chance of doing well in that bowl game and ultimately winning it uh, than if you don't. And and it's one of the biggest challenges for coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then another interesting matchup, uh, Michigan and Florida. This is one actually where I feel like um, the Big Ten might have an advantage. Uh, now this might change if Florida is able to kind of get some things figured out down there you know, with this three weeks to prepare. Um, but looking at their recent uh, resume, actually there was a Florida fan sitting next to me in that uh, Michigan State bar as well. He was there for the end of the Florida game, which I was there for, and they stuck around for a little bit of the Iowa game. Uh, but he like admitted that they he thought they were lucky to be there at all, you know, in the SEC championship game, and that their right. offense sucked. And so, uh, so I think Michigan is definitely very capable of winning that football game. Oh, I do too. I do too. If we go quickly through this, okay? Okay. Um, uh, Pinstripe Bowl, Indiana versus Duke. You know, Duke is a team that played very well, was ranked for a good portion of the season, and 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 was one of the better ACC teams. And it's Indiana against Duke. Uh, in the pinstripe bowl, then us against UCLA, Nebraska against UCLA in the Foster Farms Bowl, then Quick Lane Bowl, which is another five and seven Minnesota versus Central Michigan. Again, you'd think, well, of course, Minnesota's going to win that game, except at CMU, Central Michigan is a good MAC school and has had a pretty darn good season this season. And so that's not a gimme victory. Uh, and I don't know what Central Michigan's record is, but I suspect it's probably something around, you know, seven and five, eight and four. Um, Holiday Bowl uh, is Wisconsin against USC. Okay, we just saw USC play Stanford, and although they fell on the short end of the stick, clearly they are a, a, a talented team with a lot of a lot of players and a lot of talent, and they're playing a, a number tw- 23 ranked Wisconsin team. So you, you know everybody's going to assume well Wisconsin's going to win, right? But it's USC and it's in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, which team is more comfortable? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, I, I could see USC winning that game, even though Wisconsin's ranked and they're not. Uh, then you got Michigan State, Alabama in the semifinal, and then you've got Northwestern versus Tennessee, uh, Michigan versus Florida, Ohio State versus Notre Dame, and Iowa versus Stanford. Yeah. Michigan, uh, Michigan against Florida is probably the most likely victory, uh, with followed closely by Ohio State, Notre Dame. There's another interesting one: the Tax Slayer Bowl is Penn State in Georgia. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and Georgia's going to, you know, has a, a coaching transition going on, but Penn state, you know, has really struggled uh, at the end of the season there. 
and Georgia's loaded with NFL talent. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock me at all if Georgia wins that game. Now, can Penn State win it? Yeah, I think they can. In fact, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say they will in this case. But but I mean that's I could see us winning, you know, four games out of that whole list. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So It'll be it's to not going to be an easy it's not going to be an easy slate for the Big Ten, and that doesn't mean that Michigan or that the Big Ten is is bad just because they don't have it's a matchups thing that's the point yeah well and I think I mean obviously last year I think the Big Ten managed to make a big statement with Ohio State you know being ranked number four is kind of sneaking their way in and then winning the whole thing uh and I plus plus there were other there were some other games where we won in bowl games and people made a big deal out of it and my point is is you know you live by the sword you die by the sword a little bit we we reaped the benefits of some of those victories last year we're going to be hammered by that same myopic look at things where people can't look to the broader perspective yeah because i think that's an interesting dynamic of the michigan state alabama game specifically because on the one hand i feel like michigan state definitely has a chip on their shoulder you know they're already uh like a seven or eight point you know um uh, what at disadvantage, you know, based on the Vegas odds and, you know, everybody's high in Alabama right now and uh, Henry. Um, so I feel like they might have a little bit of the mental edge there, but at the same time, I bet you money that uh, the guys who were there last year remember how they came into that Ohio State game and lost, and they do not want to see a repeat of that with another Big Ten team this year. So I feel like Alabama's also going to want to uh, be very focused on that game. Right. Right. I agree. Yep. I absolutely agree. And then uh, one other big bowl game that we haven't talked about yet, Oklahoma State Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Um, mm. Kind of interesting to see Oklahoma State, for as much as their season has kind of been an up and down kind of thing, uh, they uh, they made it into, uh, you know, New Year's Day Bowl, you know, not, not Baylor, not TCU. Right. Exactly. That's true. And that's thanks to Baylor and their uh, – you know, um, kind of swan dive there at the end of the season. That's true. Yeah, and uh, Oregon TCU is actually the Alamo Bowl this year. I, that that'll also be a fun game, I think. That that will be. Although I I, I see Oregon being a team that's you know uh, getting better and better as, as that quarterback gets more and more comfortable in their system. And TCU has been a team that kind of was up and down again, especially late in the season when they had their toughest games. They looked very um, common. That's true. Although I wonder if uh, Scott Frost having left uh, Oregon will have any sort of impact on that, on their offense. Oh, I'm sure it'll have some impact. But keep in mind that that the offensive coordinator uh, for the uh, Oregon Ducks was their head coach when Chip Kelly was there. He was the offensive coordinator, and then he moved up to head coach. So it's not like he doesn't understand the system. (laughs) Right. All right, and then um, on the last podcast we talked about our who we thought were going to be the top six. Obviously, um, you had said uh, as it turned out being Clemson, Alabama, MSU, Oklahoma, Stanford, Ohio State, and I had I think I had it originally with Oklahoma at four and uh, or I originally had it with Oklahoma at three and MSU at four, but then I switched it after hearing what you said. So we both ended up being right about the top six. You know, all right, there so, you go. Not well, easy, easier to do. Like I think they even talked about that today uh, when they interviewed the Jeff Long, who's the rep from the committee. He he admitted that it was an easier process this year than last year. Oh yeah, for, for obvious reasons. You know, yeah. it was just more straightforward. Yeah, I mean that's the 
that's the thing, you know, is uh, the championship games went to the people that we thought were going to win them, you know, pretty right. much for the most part. So it wasn't super exciting. Um, although, you know, I mean, I do think that moving Oklahoma down a spot did still create some excitement. So there was still something worth talking about there. Uh, so, yeah, this is an exciting time. I think um, we're not going to be doing, you know, like a, a podcast like every single week, maybe um, between now and the bowl games. But um, but I know we definitely want to come back and do one where we maybe give some predictions on the, the playoff games and the other big bowl games as we get kind of closer to those dates and, you know, see where things are going to fall. Absolutely. And uh, maybe we'll be able to do a, a podcast here face to face here over the holiday season because we hope to see you back in uh, this lovely state of Michigan, which, although I will tell you, we have no snow on the ground right now uh, and a forecast that suggests we won't have any for the next seven days or so if uh, if that forecast remains what it is right now. A little bit of an odd odd uh, uh, fall and early winter here so far in uh, northern Michigan. Hmm, yeah, well, I remember there's... it seems like it always finds a way you know it might be the 21st of december and we have no snow on the ground but there'll be snow on the ground by the 25th that's happened once (laughs) or twice in my time that is true living that is true Uh, there was even one year where we didn't have snow but that's probably the only time in 20 years or whatever right so we'll see but uh looking forward to it and uh and we'll have a podcast before then so so that's cool too. But what another great college football season! And as shitty as it was for us who follow the Cornhuskers, uh, I I think that we're we're experiencing, uh, uh, you know, kind of a golden era of college football as we uh, watch this playoff just start to launch itself, and what it does to both the uh, the the teams that are involved uh, and just all the interest and the dynamics of it all, you know, what it's doing, the changing schedules, people are playing each other more. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of positives. Yeah. And here's just one thing I want to talk about to end it. Um, this is another thing that I think was being mentioned um, on that, on the radio broadcast. Uh, I think this weekend is a great example of why the playoff is great where it is at four teams right now and why we don't need an eight team playoff you know, the conference championship games are essentially working as a, you know, uh, as a kind of first round of the playoff, a preliminary right. round, you know? Right, so exactly. I, I don't feel like, you know, I mean, if we had an 18 playoff as of right now, I mean, we'd be looking at adding in, you know, Stanford, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and uh, what's the eighth ranked team? I'm forgetting. <laughs> um, well, uh, um, uh, no, isn't that Notre Dame? Isn't seven and eight? Um, oh, you're right. Ohio State and Notre Dame. Okay, yeah. Oh, so and six is Iowa, isn't it? No, five is Iowa, six is Stanford. Five. Correct. Okay, interesting. So actually, I take that back. We were both uh, wrong about our top sixes then because we had Stanford five, Ohio State six, but it actually right. was Iowa five, Stanford Iowa six, Ohio State seven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah interesting because iowa we were expecting iowa might get blown out by michigan state correct um, but uh but i mean we, we basically got to see a lot of those a number of those top eight teams play each other you know this weekend so uh you know so this i i, I feel like the system is fine where it is right now i don't think we need to be worried about expanding it 
in the near no, future. I'm not a fan of expansion either. I think all of this conversation, discussion, and the tension and the urgency that you must win or you're out uh, is still there. I think if you even went to eight teams, then all of a sudden, you know, that Ohio State Michigan State game was no longer the uh, elimination game that it became. You know, uh, there's just so many examples of games here late in the season that round robin that occurred in the uh, in the Big 12 would have been less significant because any of those teams that maybe only lost one time would have still remained in it. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's just it just gives them too much of a well, we'll still be there in the end. It's okay, and more of a college basketball feel, and I don't want that. I like the you know win or you're out uh, mentality that is currently in place. That's right. All right. So if you out there enjoyed listening to this discussion on the bowl games, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, Podomatic. We're footballthrown.podomatic.com. Or you can find us on the Podomatic app. We're also on iTunes. You can leave us ratings and reviews there. Or leave us a comment on the Podomatic website. We always like hearing from you guys. Uh, So thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back with you with a podcast about the upcoming bowl games and the Nebraska-UCLA matchup in the near future. So, until then, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Red.